It's wonderful to be back again together today, and in particular to be able to come together and study God's Word and uh, look into the Scriptures. This is something that we should be doing regularly and often uh, because it is the study of God's Word, the understanding of God's Word that really transforms our lives and brings them into alignment with God's will and purposes. So before we start to go into God's Word today, let's just open in prayer and let's just ask God for um, help as we do so. Father, thank you that we can come to your Word today. It is your Word that makes wise the simple. It is your Word that is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. It is your Word, Father, that makes us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word today. We thank you that we have the opportunity to be able to study it, to consider and understand it. And we thank you for the Holy Spirit whom you have sent to be our teacher and to be our help. Lord, we ask for the help of your spirit. We ask, Father, that you would teach us, enlighten our hearts, enlighten our minds as we look into your word today. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If there's anything that we need to understand as people, it is the greatness and glory of Jesus Christ. It's the place that He has in all of God's dealings with mankind, with, our, with His dealings with us as well as individuals. You see, Jesus is the very center of it all. He's the very hub around which the whole of creation revolves. And everything that God wants to do in our lives is dependent upon our relationship with Jesus Christ and our knowledge of Jesus Christ. As the scriptures say, He is before all things and in Him all things consist. That means all things have their being and hold together in Jesus Christ. This is so important for us to, to realize and understand. In fact, the reason why the Holy Spirit has been given to us is to reveal Jesus Christ to us. It's His primary work amongst men and that is to reveal Jesus and lead us towards faith in Jesus Christ. So that is the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we see in Scripture that the subject of all Scripture is Jesus Christ. Whether it's in the Old Testament or whether it's in the New Testament, we find Jesus Christ is the subject of Scripture. He is the very subject of the Gospel. The Gospel is all about Him. And He is the that He is the one that all prophecy, all true prophecy points to. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. So these are the things that we see in Scripture. The whole of Scripture is to move us towards Jesus Christ. We also see in Scripture that the Holy Spirit has assigned many titles to Jesus. And each and every one of these titles has been given to Him to teach us something about who He is. And uh, today, what I want to do is I want to look at just four titles, the most commonly used titles of Jesus Christ. And we want to go back and have a look at the origin of these titles um, so that we can really understand what the significance and meaning of these titles is. You know, the Jews in the time of Jesus ascribed certain titles to him. Some of the titles that we're going to look at today, they ascribed to Jesus Christ. And when they when they used these titles of Him, they, were, they had great understanding of the meaning that these titles held and what they were saying about Jesus when they ascribed these titles to Him. 
So what are the four titles that we're going to look at today? The first one is the Son of God. The second one is the Son of Man. The third one is the Son of David. And the last one, the fourth one, is, is the Lamb or the Lamb of God. So those are the four titles that we want to have a look at today. As I said, these are the most commonly used titles. And I'm sure that all of us are familiar with these titles. We've, we've used them. We've ascribed them to Jesus ourselves. But the question I ask today is, have we really understood the significance and meaning that these titles have? When we say Jesus is the Son of God or the Son of Man or the Son of David or the Lamb, do we really understand what we are saying and what we are, what we are um, signifying about Jesus? That's what we want to look into today. When the Jews called Him the Son of God, they knew what they were saying. When, uh, when they heard Jesus referring to Himself as the Son of Man, they understood what he was trying to say to them, what he was signifying in doing that. When people cried out, Son of David, have mercy on us. Why did they call him the Son of David? There was something that they knew about these titles that moved them to call him that. And so this is what we want to look into today. And I, I'm praying as I prayed earlier, I believe that God wants to open our eyes to a greater understanding of what these titles mean. And obviously, as we see what they mean, we also gain a greater understanding of who Jesus is and His greatness and His glory. So let's have a look at these titles and their origin in the Old Testament because one of the reasons why the Jews had an understanding of these titles that many Christians today don't is simply because the Jews had a knowledge of the Old Testament and the origin of these titles is in the Old Testament. We have to go back to the Old Testament and we have to understand and know the Old Testament prophecies in order to understand the meaning and significance of these titles. So that's what we're going to do in this message. And uh, we'll find that by the end of this message, I believe that these titles, which may have just been a cliche that we used with regards to Jesus, will no longer just be a cliche, but they will be something that have great meaning and great significance when we say it. In our minds, they will have great meaning and significance. So let's Look at the first title, the Son of God. There was a time when the Lord Jesus Christ was with His apostles, and He turned to them and He said to them, Who do you say that I am? Peter, as he so often did, spoke up on behalf of all the apostles, and this is what he said. He said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, where did Peter get that idea from? Where did he get this idea, this notion of someone being called the Son of God? He got it from the Old Testament Scriptures. And in fact, he got it from Psalm 2, where I want to go to now and, and just read a passage from. This is why Peter called Jesus the Son of God. And when he called Jesus the Son of God, this was what was in his mind. This passage was in his mind. He knew what he was saying. He knew that in, in ascribing this name, the Son of God, to Jesus of Nazareth, he knew that he was ascribing greatness to Jesus. So let's have a look at Psalm 2. We're going to read from verse 7 to 12. This here is a, a psalm which David is speaking, and he's speaking by the Spirit of God. Let's read it. We read there, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron, you will shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. 
Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that He may not become angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in Him. So this is the psalm that Peter was referring back to when he said to Jesus, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So what was in Peter's mind as he ascribed or assigned this title to Jesus? The very words that we've read, the very things that this passage is telling us. When we look at this passage, we see in the first few verses, we see someone who, who is saying that God had told him he would be his son and that God would, uh, he would be the begotten of God. Well, what we're seeing here is we're seeing the Lord Jesus speaking by the Holy Spirit through the prophet David. And he's saying that God had made a decree about him. And in this decree, God decreed that he would be his son, that he would be begotten by God. He would be the son of God. And then it carries on and says that God would give him the nations as his inheritance and the ends of the earth as his possession, that he would break them um, with iron, with a rod of iron, and uh, he would shatter them like a clay pot is shattered. You see, this is a prophecy that is being spoken by the Spirit of God from Jesus Christ through David. This is Jesus speaking hundreds of years before He ever came into the earth, speaking by the Spirit of God. And then when we look at the second part of this passage, we see the Holy Spirit continuing to speak to, through David, but now the Holy Spirit is warning the kings of the earth and He's warning the judges and rulers of the earth to pay attention to this very fact, this very decree that the Lord had made. And to do homage to the Son. Uh, the, the literal translation is to kiss Him. In other words, to receive Him and to embrace Him and to accept Him for who He is. Otherwise, the Holy Spirit warns, His wrath will be kindled and they will be destroyed. And then we see the Holy Spirit also saying that there would be great blessing for everybody who takes refuge in Him. This is a prophecy about the Son of God. And so when Peter takes this title, the Son of God, and he assigns it to Jesus of Nazareth, he was saying right there in the presence of all those people, all those apostles, he was saying Jesus is the one that the, this passage is speaking about. He is the Son of God. He was begotten by God, which means He's the only one who has a right to say that God is his father. He's the only one who has a right to say that he is from above, that he has been born into this world without the help of a human father. This is what Peter was saying. Peter was saying when he said, Jesus, you are the son of God. He was saying to Jesus, you are the one that the nations belong to, that the earth has been given to. You are the ones that the rulers of the earth and the judges of the earth, the kings of the earth must pay homage to. Otherwise, your wrath will be kindled and you will destroy them in the way. And then he's also saying, Lord Jesus, you're the Son of God. You're the one in whom everyone who takes refuge in you will be blessed. So do you see, as Peter was uh, assigning this title, the Son of God, to Jesus of Nazareth, do you see the greatness that he was assigning to him? Just by using this title, he was assigning glory and greatness and dominion and power to Jesus of Nazareth. Let's move on to the second title. This is the Son of Man. Now, this title 
wasn't used by other people when they were referring to Jesus or addressing him like they did with the Son of God. But this is the title that Jesus used when referring to himself. It's the title that he assigned or ascribed to himself more than any other title. And we have to ask the question, why would Jesus constantly refer to himself as the Son of Man? Why would he, why would he do that? What was he trying to signify? What was he trying to tell the people of his time when he constantly referred to himself as the Son of Man? We might say, well, he was referring to his humanity. And yes, this, this title does refer to the humanity of Jesus Christ. He's the Son of Man. Whereas the title, the Son of God, refers to His divinity. He's the Son of God. And so while there is truth in that, that this title does speak of Jesus' humanity, what we need to realize is that as Jesus stood before the people of His time, they could see that He was a man. There was no one, not even the Pharisees or the teachers of the law or the scribes or the Sadducees, there was no one of His time that would have denied that Jesus was human. Where they had a problem, where they struggled, where they didn't want to, to believe was when he claimed to be the Son of God. It was his divinity that they rejected, but they all did not question his humanity. So that brings us back to this question again. Why would Jesus use this title, the Son of Man, with regards to himself over and over again? What was he trying to signify? You see, it was far more than just trying to tell them that he was a human. They knew that. He was actually referring back to uh, two particular passages of Scripture in the Old Testament. And so I want to have a look at these two passages of Scripture. And after we've had a look at these two passages, you will begin to see what the people of his time were hearing when Jesus called himself the Son of Man, what it meant to them and signified to them. And we'll see why some of them got really upset when he used this title. So let's have a look at Psalm chapter 8, first of all. And we're going to read just a few verses, verses 4 to 8. And this is what it says there. What is man that you take thought of him? And the son of man, you see that phrase there, the son of man, that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. Now, if we have a look at this passage very quickly, what do we see here? We see it is talking about a, a particular individual who's called the Son of Man. It says, what is the Son of Man that you care for Him? It doesn't say the Son of Man or the Son of Men that you care for them. It's the Son of Man that you care for Him. It's talking about one particular individual. It says you made him a little lower than God. It says you crown him with glory and majesty. It says you make him to rule over the works of your hands. All of this is talking about a particular individual. And he's given this title here, the Son of Man. So do you know that when Jesus was referring to himself as the Son of Man, do you know what the people of his time were hearing? They were thinking back to Psalm 8. Let's go to Daniel chapter 7, and let's look at this passage. We're going to read just three verses, uh, two verses, sorry, two verses here, verse 13 and verse 14. It says, and this is Daniel speaking, he says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days, that refers to God, 
and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So when we look at this passage, once again, there is this phrase that comes up, the Son of Man. And what does Daniel see? He says, I saw someone like a Son of Man that was coming on the clouds of heaven up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And then he says, and I saw that to this one who he refers to as a Son of Man, there was dominion, glory, and power and authority given to him. There was a kingdom assigned to him. And he said, all nations, all people, people of every language will serve him. And then he said, his kingdom and his dominion will be everlasting and will never pass away. So when Jesus used this phrase, this title, the Son of Man for himself, do you realize that this is what the Jews of his time were hearing him say? This is why when he stood before Caiaphas, on the night or the day that he was being tried before his crucifixion, Caiaphas was interrogating him and trying to, to get him to tell him who he was. And there was a point where Jesus said these words, and these words are recorded in Mark chapter 16 and verse 40, sorry, Mark chapter 14 and verse 62. And this is what Jesus said. He said, You shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power, that referring to God and coming with the clouds of heaven. Now, when Caiaphas heard him say that, do you know what he did? He took his high priestly garments, and he tore them, and he said, Blasphemy. Why did Caiaphas do that? When he heard Jesus say, You will see the Son of Man, and he used this title referring to himself, and he said, You will see him sitting at the right hand of power. You will see him coming on the clouds of heaven. Why did Caiaphas take that so negatively? Why did he consider it to be blasphemy? It was because he knew the prophecy that we've just read in Daniel, and he realized that Jesus was taking that prophecy and claiming that it was speaking about him. That's why Caiaphas was so indignant, why he said that Jesus was blaspheming. He did not believe that this prophecy belonged to Jesus. He did not believe that Jesus was the Christ. And so when Jesus made this incredible claim about himself, Caiaphas said it was blasphemy. Let's go on to the next title, the son of David. The son of David. Although the Lord never used this title for himself, do you know that people often used it in, when, they, when they tried to get his attention? And what we do see is that he always paid attention. He always answered this. When, when, when people used this title, uh, to, to speak to him, he always responded to it. And he always responded positively. He, he accepted this title, even though he didn't use it for himself. What were the people of his day? When you read through the Gospels and you see people calling him the son of David, what did they have in their minds? Why did they use this title for him? And what were they saying when they called him the son of David? What were they believing in their hearts about him that made them call him the son of David? We see people like the Canaanite woman, uh, the two blind men that followed him, saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. Uh, blind Bartimaeus in Jericho. And then we also see another time when he was coming into Jerusalem and he was riding on a donkey. Uh, we call this his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. The crowd of his disciples began to sing. 
And they began to shout, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you know that when the Jewish rulers who did not believe in Jesus, they did not believe that he was the son of God. They didn't believe that he was the, the son of man. And they didn't believe that he was the son of David. When they heard the crowd chanting like this and, and crying out like this, um, they came to Jesus and they said, do you hear what the crowd is saying about you? And what they were doing is they were trying to get Jesus to, to stop what was taking place. They were, they were saying to him, are you accepting this kind of praise? Are you accepting this title, the son of David? Is this something you're claiming for yourself? They were indignant that this was happening. They were offended by this. What were they understanding? What were they thinking? What was in their minds when they heard that crowd saying, Son of David, Hosanna to the Son of David as Jesus came in? Why were they so offended? Let's just look at a couple of passages of Scripture. There are many passages in the Old Testament that refer to the Son of David, many of them. And once again, as I said, even as we saw with the other titles that we've looked at, the other two titles, the origin of this title is in the Old Testament prophecies. And so what I want to do is I just want to look at three. We could have looked at many more, but we just don't have the time today to look at them. I would have loved to look at more because this title uh, probably has more in Scripture about it than maybe even the other titles. So let's just have a look at three. The first one is 1 Chronicles chapter 17, and we're going to read from verse 11 to 14. Now, let me just give you a little bit of a background on this passage before we read it. This is um, a prophecy, and it is a prophecy that was made by the Holy Spirit through the prophet Nathan. And it was given to David, King David. And so as we read this, you will see God is actually speaking through the prophet to David, King David. Let's have a, a listen. Let's look at this, this passage. It says, when your days are fulfilled, remember he's speaking to David, that you must go to be with your fathers. In other words, when the day comes for you to die, uh, he want, God wanted him to know this, that I will set up one of your descendants after you who will be of your sons. So he's talking about one of David's descendants who will be from his sons. He'll be what we now know as the son of David. He will be a son of David. And then the Lord the, continues to speak through Nathan the prophet and says, I will establish his kingdom. He will build for me a house and I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like God is speaking about the same person he was speaking about in Psalm 2. He carries on and he says, And I will not take my loving kindness away from him as I took it from him who was before you. Remember, he's speaking to David. So who was before David? It was King Saul. God rejected King Saul. So he's saying, this son, this descendant of yours, this one that I'm going to place uh, in, in this position of greatness, I will never take my loving kindness away from him. I will never reject him. And then he carries on, he says, but I will settle him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. Do you see how we're seeing this word forever coming up the whole time? We saw it in, uh, in um, Daniel chapter 7, and we're seeing it again here. So even when we talked about the, the title of the Son of Man, we, we realized that the kingdom that was promised to this one who is called the Son of Man would be an eternal kingdom and his dominion would never, would never end. 
And we're seeing the same thing here. But now we're seeing God speaking this to David and saying that this one that will have this kingdom is going to be one of his sons. And he will sit on his throne and it shall be established forever. He shall sit there forever. He will rule over David's house forever, which means he'll rule over the people of Israel forever. Let's go to the second passage, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 to 7. And we read here, and this is a very familiar passage. We read it almost every Christmas. A lot of people uh, read it at Christmas. And it's one of our favorite passages at Christmas, and rightly so. Let's have a look at it. This is Isaiah the prophet speaking, and he says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. Now, I believe that we could quite legitimately, without changing Scripture, say a son for David will be given to us. A son for David will be given. And he carries on, he says, And the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. Once again, we see this word forevermore coming up. So we're seeing in all of these prophecies, there is talk about the dominion, the kingdom, the rule, the reign, the greatness of this one. And this, whether he's called the son of God, whether he's called the son of man, whether he's called the son of David, we're seeing it's, it's talking about the same individual. He's going to sit on the throne of David forevermore. He's going to reign forevermore. He's going to be um, over all nations. His dominion will be over men from every language and they will serve him and his dominion will never be taken away. We're seeing the same message being spoken uh, for this person, even though different titles are being assigned to him. Let's go now to Micah chapter 5 and look at the third one here. Micah chapter 5 and let's look at verses 2 to 4. So Micah, the prophet, says this, But as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain, because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. Now let's just look at this a little bit more. It says that the prophet is, God is through the prophet speaking to Bethlehem. Now if you know the Old Testament, if you know the scriptures, you will know that Bethlehem is the town of David. It's where David was born, it's where David lived, it's where David grew up. And so when he refers, when God refers to Bethlehem, he is speaking to the clan of David. He is speaking to David. And he's talking about one coming from Bethlehem, one coming out of David's line that will be the ruler in Israel. In other words, just as we saw before, he will sit on the throne of David. David ruled over Israel. And then we see him say and make an incredible statement here about this one that is being spoken about. It says here, his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. That speaks to the eternality of the son of David. That this one who's going to be called the son of David is someone who has existed from all eternity. His days go right back into eternity. He's without beginning and he's without end. 
He has always been from the days of eternity. This is what God says about him. And he will come and he will arise. He will be born in Bethlehem and he will rule over Israel. It says not only that, but he will be great to the ends of the earth. Once again, we see that these prophecies are speaking about his dominion and his authority and his greatness and his glory over all the earth, over all nations, over all powers. Do you see now why those Jewish leaders were so indignant when they heard those people saying, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were indignant because they understood these prophecies. And they understood that when those disciples were calling Jesus the son of David, they understood what those disciples were saying about him. That they were saying that he is the one that, that was prophesied in these three passages that we've just read. That he's the one that God used the prophet Nathan to tell King David about, that, he, that was promised to King David as being one that would sit on his throne forever. They realized the greatness that the disciples of Jesus were ascribing to him. And that's why they said to Jesus, do you hear what, they, what they're saying about you? How can you let them continue to say that? And if you remember the Lord's response, you know what he said? He said this, he said, if they don't say it, the rocks will say it. You see, this is the truth. The Jewish priests, they were blinded. They couldn't see who Jesus Christ was, just like so many people today that cannot see who Jesus Christ really is. But his disciples saw. And that's why he said to them, blessed are your eyes, for they see what prophets long to see. Blessed are your ears, because they hear. You see, how blessed it is for us today to be able to say that we believe in Jesus Christ, that we understand who he is. Isn't that a most incredible blessing that God has given to us by grace that he would have opened the eyes of our hearts to understand the greatness and the glory of Jesus Christ. I pray that he's doing that right now as we continue to look at the scriptures. Let's move on and let's look at the last title, which is the Lamb. You remember that when John the Baptist uh, saw Jesus just around the time that he was baptized, John looked at him. And he pointed to him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What was John saying? Why did he use that title, the Lamb of God? Well, I think just in his words we get an insight into it. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But where did this idea of him being called the Lamb come from? Well, it comes from Isaiah chapter 53. So let's just have a look at this. Isaiah chapter 53 verses 7 to 8. This is what the prophet Isaiah prophesies. He says, he was oppressed. He's talking about a man here, a person. And he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb, there comes that phrase, the lamb. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? So when John said, here's the lamb, what was he doing? He was pointing the people back to Isaiah chapter 53. He was saying, here is the one Isaiah prophesied about. Here is the one that Isaiah said he would be led like a lamb to the slaughter. 
What does this title signify? Well, it signifies Jesus as the substitutionary, sacrificial Lamb of God who would die for our sins. It depicts Him as the, our atonement. It depicts Him as the propitiation for our sins. It depicts Him as the one who would take away the sins of the world. It depicts Him as the one who would bring justification to all who had faith in Him. This is what this title, The Lamb, refers to. But what is interesting is that the book that talks or uses this title more than any other book in the entire Bible is the book of Revelation. Do you know that just in 22 chapters in that book, Jesus is referred to as the Lamb 29 times. Why does the book of Revelation, which was written and came into being after Jesus' death, after His resurrection, why does it use this title, the Lamb, the whole time? Well, there's a very good reason. Because in the book of Revelation, Jesus, the one that we knew as the Lamb, the one who died on the cross for us, is revealed to us as the Son of God, who would possess the nations, who would take control of this planet. He is revealed as the Son of Man, who would have eternal dominion. He's revealed as the Son of David, who would sit on the throne of David. The one who, who would, um, anything that he opened, no one would be able to shut. Anything that he shut, no one would be able to open. He's revealed to us as the one who will uh, come in wrath against every person that resists him. And so in the book of Revelation, we see the kings of the earth, the very kings that are warned in Psalm 2 to pay homage to him. The very kings that are warned about the fact that his wrath could be kindled, that his wrath would destroy them. We see the very kings uh, warned about there doing what they were warned not to do. We see them taking their stand against the Lord and against His Christ. We see them standing up in opposition to the rule and dominion and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We see them fight and make war against the Lamb. But we also see in the book of Revelation, we see the wrath of the Lamb and the wrath of God coming upon these kings and their armies. And we see them being destroyed just like what it said in Psalm 2. We see the Lamb overcoming and assuming His rightful place. We see the kingdoms of this world becoming the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ. And the very thing that Satan is trying everything in his power to stop, the book of Revelation shows us, is going to take place. We see the Lamb of God is the Son of God. He is the Son of Man, and He is the Son of David. The one who died on the cross for our sins. The one who is the substitutionary, sacrificial Lamb. The one who took away our sins and provided justification for us and suffered in our place is the one who is now exalted to the highest place, seated at the right hand of power, just as Jesus said would happen. He's the one to whom God has given the nations as His inheritance. He's the one to whom the earth has been given as His possession. He's the one who will shatter evil and wicked kings in the day of His wrath. He's the one who is coming back, not as He came the first time as a little baby, but as the King of kings and the Lord of lords with great glory and great power. You see, this is what the book of Revelation shows us. It shows us the Lamb of God as He is today. 
It shows us that when the Bible talks about the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Son of Man, and the Son of David, it's talking about one person, Jesus Christ. Doesn't this really build in our, in our minds, magnify in our minds, the greatness of Jesus, who He is, whom God has made Him to be? These are wonderful truths. And I pray today that just as we've looked at these scriptures, we will see who Jesus really is. And what hope this gives to us, us who take refuge in Him. What hope it gives to us. Because as it said in Psalm 2, blessed are those who take refuge in Him. At the end of the book of Revelation, chapter 22 and verse 3, it says this about the coming kingdom of God and of the Lamb. It says this, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. And you know who his servants are? It's every one of us who believes in who Jesus Christ is. Do you realize that when we say Jesus is the Son of God, do you realize what we're saying? Do you realize what we are ascribing to him? When we say he's the Son of Man, do you realize what we're saying about him, what God has said about him? When we call him the Son of David, do we realize what God has said about him? Just how great He is, how majestic He is, how powerful He is, and just what God is going to do through Him, what the final end result is all going to be. This earth, this, the kingdoms of this world, will become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ. And He shall reign forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His throne will be established forever. His kingdom will never pass away. Of His government, there will be no end to the increase. You see, this is what Scripture teaches us. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. Today, I want to speak to any of you who might be watching this message. And you've never received Jesus for who He really is. You've never accepted Him as the Son of God, as the Son of Man, as the Son of David. You've never accepted Him as being the one who takes away the sin of the world. You've never received Him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You've never even understood what I've been sharing with you today. I want to strongly urge you to listen to the words of Psalm 2 and to pay homage to the Son, to receive Him, to kiss Him, to embrace Him for who He is. He is your King. He is your Lord. Whether you believe in Him or not, that's who God has made Him to be. Our responsibility is to respond to what God has done and to respond positively to Jesus Christ, to embrace Him for who He is, to embrace Him for all that He is in the scope of God's plan. And so that's what I urge you to do today. If you've not done that, become a follower of Jesus Christ. Become a servant of Jesus. Worship Him. Do His will. Follow Him. Obey Him. And you will find great and incredible blessing. And He will give you eternal life. Take refuge in Jesus Christ today. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word today. I thank You, Father, for these passages of Scripture. I thank You for the understanding that these titles give us of the greatness and glory of Your Son. 
Father, thank you for Jesus and for who he is. We rejoice in him. We exalt him. We are not ashamed of him in this wicked and adulterous generation, but rather we confess him. We declare that he is the Son of God whom you spoke about. He is the Son of Man whom you spoke about. He is the Son of David whom you promised to King David through the prophet Nathan. And he is the Lamb of God who has died to take away our sins and the sins of the world. Father, we thank you today for this truth, these truths. Lord Jesus, we bless you, we exalt you, we honor you, we worship you, and we serve you. You are our King, and you are our Lord. And forever and ever you shall reign, and forever and ever you shall be praised to the glory of God the Father. Amen. It's been wonderful to be able to be here together and just to look into God's Word. I pray that this has blessed you. I pray that it has helped you. I pray that you've seen something today that maybe you hadn't seen before. Until we are together again, may God bless you. May He keep you. May He make His face shine on you. And may He give you peace. Amen.